Sam from the Nerdbook Review, where we broaden your fantasy horizons. Today, we are going to be bringing you an author interview with Brett Herman, author of The Chaos Trims My Beard, a Spiffbo 2017 finalist. Um, we had a really fun conversation where we talked about a wide variety of things. Um, I really had a good time, and I'm glad that we, uh, even if we got in a little bit late, that we were able to get this final uh, author interview in for the Spiffbo competition. I will get right to the interview as soon as I get my usual spiel in, along with one other quick note at the end. You can reach us by email at nerdbookreview at gmail.com. You can see our Facebook page, Nerdbook Review, and on Twitter at Nerdbook Review for the handle. Uh, either Gmail or Twitter is the best way to get a hold of us if you wish to do so. Once again, if you would be so kind as to leave a rating and review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show, I would greatly appreciate it. And now for that note. My wife and I are looking to make a move to another nearby local city where we think we will have a little bit more fun. And as such, we are not entirely certain what our schedule is going to look like as we attempt to sell our current house and find a new one. If we end up selling this one before we find the new house, then the chances are this equipment that I currently record on will probably be boxed up somewhere and I'll probably not have a good location to do my recording or editing and if that happens to be the case then the Nerdbook Review will take a short hiatus as we get the situation figured out. As I said I'm not entirely certain uh, if there will be a, a interruption but if there is an interruption then uh, that will be the reason and I will make sure to uh, post all about it on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you all for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed these Spiffbo author interviews. The Nerdbook Review is happy to welcome Brett Herman, author of Chaos Trims My Beard, a finalist for Spiffbo 2017, as well as The Arrow Dance, a neon space opera series. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. Um, I am happy that we uh, got together. Uh, it was a little bit later than uh, initially planned, but as long as we get them in and all before the contest ends, it was really my goal. I'm, I'm stoked to, uh, to be on the docket. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Uh, reading your uh, website, it looks like you are a true nerd, which we obviously <laughs> like here on the Nerdbook Review. Uh, yeah, so... Um... I'm, uh, I've been in Southern California my whole life, um, and I'm in my early 30s, so that means the Nintendo Entertainment System, the original one, uh, was the hot ticket when I was about three or four years old, so I started real early on, uh, you know, Mario and Duck Hunt and Contra and all those, uh, all those things that kind of, uh, sent me into nerddom, um, avid video game player my whole life got into tabletop gaming um you know miniatures and D and stuff and uh i uh, always read like you know the young jedi uh, star wars books for sustained silent reading in school so i basically had a genre love affair going on since i was like 10 yeah. you know like teachers asking to see my books to make sure that they're like actual books because they have lightsabers on the front you know <laughs> and um Majored in English, uh, got into comedy, uh, and then a little bit after that, got into writing, and that's pretty much me. Awesome. What kind of tabletop games did you, do you like to play? 
So uh, the one that is most currently um, rattling my dice is the uh, X-Wing tabletop by Fantasy Flight, the dogfighting one. Uh, me and my wife play that a lot. We've done uh, a couple D&D sessions or like their offshoots, you know, like the Star Wars role-playing games because uh -huh. that's a common theme in our life and whatnot. Um, a couple other miniatures here and there uh, on a, on the, you know, taking a step back from all the plastic. We're working through Pandemic right now with our, uh, with her sister and my brother-in-law, the legacy version. So lots of, uh, lots of cardboard and uh, dice in my life. Awesome. Yeah, and I've heard Pandemic is a lot of fun. I've never actually played it myself. Yeah, it's really great and super tense. And like, if you're not super best friends with the people you're playing it with, <laughs> it might, you know, test your relationships a little bit. But uh, we're doing all right, even though, uh, even though the viruses have won out a few times. I imagine so. Uh, what kind of uh, comedy do you do? So um, I was finishing up college at uh, Cal State Long Beach and looking at like English graduate programs and decided that I did not want to indebt myself just to like write, do more writing workshops. So instead I went to up to uh, Hollywood and signed up for the Second City, which is based in Chicago, but they have a uh, school out here. And the Second City is like the improv sketch school that like Steve Colbert and like half of SNL came out of and they have like this whole multi-year program where they teach you to improvise first and then you put up a sketch review and it runs for a couple months and that was my like genesis into comedy and I still do improv because it's really low impact like I don't have to you know write and <laughs> yeah. write ahead of time like just with everything else going on but I've done uh, stand up and sketch uh, improv a couple of web things, which I will thank nobody to look up because I'd rather they not be there, you know, um, but that kind of stuff. Awesome. Yeah, I had a roommate right after college, actually, who uh, had his, was in an improv, improv troupe, if I could speak, and uh, he still does a little bit of that. His wife actually um, runs the, owns the, kind of like the big uh, comedy club here in Boise, and so we used to do, uh, to go watch a lot of those kind of shows, actually. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, that was actually pretty foundational to my creativity. And I lived in Portland for a time, and it was probably a lot closer to the scene in Boise. You know, like there was one big yeah. comedy club, and everybody knew each other. And those were just it's just a big. Uh, it still is a big part of my life, and uh, I just like kind of the, you know, getting out and getting in front of people, and trying to make them laugh. You know. Yeah. Well, so. Um, being an English major, obviously that probably helped you with your, uh, like getting into writing, but how did you get into like specifically writing sci-fi and fantasy and, and how would you describe your writing style? Uh, so my, uh, when I, when I got into, to answer the first question, when I first kind of realized that I wanted to at least write genre as a hobby was all the way back in high school, um, I, like I mentioned, I read almost exclusively like genre works and uh, we had some assignment come up in like ninth or 10th grade English about like the teacher's like, oh, if you want 20 points extra credit, use this month's vocabulary words in a story, like work in all 20 vocab words or whatnot. Um, and I went home and didn't have anything to do that night. So I wrote like, I think it turned out to be like 15,000 words in a single night just to incorporate 20 <laughs> vocabulary words. And it was, I was 14, so, but the, it ended up being this story about, like, <clears throat> a race of uh, sentient uh, terriers, like Scotty Terriers and Wheaton Terriers that had achieved intergalactic dominance, 
and were threatened by a race of obviously space cats. And there was like starfighters and battle cruisers, but all manned by talking cats and dogs. And it was horribly written, but it included <laughs> the vocabulary words. And when I turned it in, my teacher's like, you wrote all this last night. And I... I got really embarrassed because like other people obviously turned in like three pages that just shoehorned in the words. And I'm like, yeah, I did. And I enjoyed it. So maybe I should keep doing that. Um, so that was like how I kind of got, that was, that was the formative memory of getting into writing genre. Um, always loved genre. And then now later on after kind of doing other creative pursuits, I decided I wanted to try my hand at writing it more seriously and not as a 14 year old. And I, uh, it was never a question of writing like fantasy and sci-fi. It was just like, that's what I'm going to do because I never really cop to like literary stuff, you know, like all the, like Oliver Twist and everything you had mm -hmm. to read great books, but not what I aspired to write, you know, like deeply meandering themes and symbolism and all that. But, uh, yeah, my, uh, my, the second question you asked my writing style, um, I I, it's really direct because a lot of my creative training came from like stage, I suppose would be how I would describe it. Um, I improvise a lot of my dialogue out loud, which is probably horrible for my wife, but uh, everything <laughs> I do, I try to make at least flow in a certain manner. I, yeah, I don't know how to write in a way that I don't know how to perform. Like they're they're kind of one and the same to me. Just one's written and edited somewhat. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. Well, especially I mean the the one I read that they cut chaos turns my beard. I can understand the there's a, with the the lot of the like Edwin's actions and things like that. Like you can see the situation. I, I felt like you did a good job with with uh, setting the scene very well. Uh, thank you. Yes, that's um. Because in uh, improv, as you've seen, like there's no props, so you have to like explicitly state or like shape with your hands, you know what the scene is. And when writing, I figure if something's important, I have to explicitly state it. Now, not necessarily through dialogue, but there's a lot of like foundational work that I feel like goes into my scene writing and scene structuring that kind of just comes directly from the stage because like the audience has to know what's there before you can play with it i suppose and like i said um we'll get we'll get into talking more about the the book itself but I, now that you mentioned that i can absolutely see uh, you know how that that influenced you you mentioned that uh things like star wars and other genre things um, were influences growing up to you did you have any uh fantasy um authors oh, that yeah. influenced you of course um uh, so obviously i read tolkien to death and i read the silmarillion each year in high school, because I was that big of a nerd, I read it four times <laughs> just because, well, I mean, you can go back and mine that book for years. Like, there's just so much in there that, like, I reread it recently, and I'd completely forgotten about the talking sword that gets super sad when it accidentally kills its master. And, like, that's in a Tolkien book, and I, you know, that all, like, just sticks with me. Um, I read a lot of Christopher Moore, which is kind of a different, you know, it's not really the grimdark or sword and sorcery thing, but just, you know, like a dirty job and uh, Coyote Blue and all those, um, like the kind of the magical realism comedy fantasies um, were pretty foundational to me uh, in my 20s when I was really like pushing out from, uh, you know, uh, George R. R. Martin and 
Tolkien and like just the really like core fantasy canon that everybody kind of has an opportunity to look at. And yeah, uh, the, and then um, uh, I actually read Mark Lawrence. Um, uh, I found him a couple of years ago. Uh, the the guy who's running Spiffbo, obviously, and um, uh, it took me three tries to get into Prince of Thorns, but I, I then once I got it, I I you know demolished the series, and I really like his work too. I'm in my mid thirties as, w- as well. Actually, I'm 35 now, so probably just a couple years older than you. And I and I've got kind of the same uh, thoughts on that, especially like with the with the Martin getting into him in college, and then being like, oh my goodness, this is just groundbreaking as far as just you know that kind of a, a work while you when you're in college, and then you just kind of you know then you wait and you wait. But I was a Jordan fan before that, so I understand waiting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. I um, I it's sacrilege to say on on the nerd book review, but um, I I got halfway through Wheel of Time. And I put it down, and it's sitting there at the top of Mount To Be Read, and I haven't <laughs> gotten back to it yet. But uh, all the press around um, uh, Sanderson taking over for him got me into Mistborn uh, at a good time when I was starting to look at writing genre as a, as something that I wanted to do as a hobby or a career. But you know, reading Martin and Sanderson, that I mean, it just it's intimidating when you're like in your mid twenties and you're like, yeah, I really want to do this. And then this is, here's like the living masters that you're reading, you know? Yeah, I know. It's funny. Cause, um, I've done, I mean, I've never finished anything, but I've started from high school to then college. And then as an adult, several times started a book and then never finished it. But yeah, most of the time I'll be reading a novel and I'll think, you know, I can do something like this. And then there's those people like Martin or uh, Rothfuss with his prose, or, or my most recently with uh, Deborah Wolf, who last year I read a couple of her books, and she's the first time. And, you're, and then those people are like, "Yeah, I could never do what they do," and that's <laughs> it's, it's, it's daunting. It, it's super daunting, but it's also super um, encouraging because uh, I read uh, Rothfuss, the three primary works set in the you know with. Quoth, Quoth. I've never been able to pronounce his name, but the Kingkiller Chronicles, yep. um, and then the 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 two books and the side novella, and his prose is just so beautiful. And I read it, I'm like, there is no way I could I could do a doctorate in like poetry and learn every beautiful five syllable word, and there's no way I could ever match like the just the ebb and flow and like absolute finesse of him. But then I go and read like. Uh, Mark Lawrence, who has very poetic prose, but it just feels so much more like it. It, it kind of takes the 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 filigree out of it, if you know what I mean. It's just a little more direct, and it feels a little more like attainable. Like this is something that I can aspire to in my wildest dreams. While Rothfuss is just on another dimension of just beauty, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Well, and that's one thing I, why I would consider uh, Lawrence in my. Uh that top tier of like my top three or four favorite authors is because of that directness and, you know, taking that those, he doesn't add spare words that aren't necessary. And it, 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 it helps me like stay in that story in my mind, you know, quite a bit. And, and thinking about, as I read chaos turns my beard, that is one thing I actually quite a bit that I did enjoy. Like you said, those scenes, I was able to stay in that uh, movie, my mind uh, quite frequently with the novel uh, well, thank you for saying so. That's um, absolutely what I 
like aspire to go towards. Like I never wanted to um, kind of bandy about with like Ed Wayne's internal exposition of himself or what's going on. I just wanted to like, you know, get the quip, get the physical building, like get the emotional building and get going. You know what I'm, it's like a more direct, still done with as whatever skill I could muster, but a more direct um, line rather than like sitting and dwelling on it and monologuing in his head, you know? Yeah. Um, Sorry, I just had one of those. I was going to ask a question. I'm like, wait a minute. I already asked that question. That's not appropriate. Um, <laughs> so uh, who would you say that your writing style like could be compared to as far as any uh, any like authors that, uh, that readers might listen to from or, or read from the like the bigger name people? Um, well, without w- with massive caveats, I would say that uh, my writing's probably somewhere near or at least in the genre of like Douglas Adams or Christopher Moore, they're obviously different, but they kind of have that directness, but the quippiness, they're kind of, they can get a little staccato with their jokes. They um, have characters who are, you know, 10% heightened beyond like how normal people might act just for the sake of interest in comedy. Um, not a lot of like eight page descriptions of pastoral villages or anything like that but uh yeah it it i always i mean i'm i'm flush even thinking about like trying to compare myself to anyone but uh if uh, if i was approaching you know 20 percent of somebody it would probably be douglas adams or christopher moore in the way that they do their works <laughs> yeah that just that slight bit of absurdity yeah yeah and, and i can see that with uh like with how edwin uh you know, just reacts to, to situations, and there's always just something that that just seems to be slightly absurd happening to him. And I guess that that half dwarf, half human, uh, uh, always just shrugs it off and has has some sort of a quip. Absolutely, I mean that's that's what drew me to the genre and the character in general. It's like I need a guy who can kind of take the ridiculous stuff and then like make a joke about it and then get punched in the face. Yeah, and um, I'm not as as familiar with Moore as I am with Adams. But um, where did you where do you get that that uh, that uh, like that detective kind of feel to it? Where do you get that from? So I read a lot of yeah, you know, I read all of the Sherlock stuff and uh, the Maltese Falcon, obviously, and a lot of the Marlowe stuff by uh, Chandler, Raymond Chandler. Um, and I was always interested in the arc of a detective story uh like there's a guy he's probably grumpy and then suddenly a bunch of people are really interested in something and for whatever reason now he's the he's this kind of slightly chaotic force that is going to change a lot of stuff for a lot of people and blot out corruption and or you know, whatever it is that the story ends up being. And I loved all those books and I especially loved all those, all the movies that kind of follow that, uh, like contained story. It happens over a couple days. There's a lot of crime. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of, uh, grumpy protagonists. Uh, and there's just, you know, kind of characters that carry themselves with a lot of like bombast and, that all just kind of swirled together with my love of genre and hence, uh, you know, the fantasy noir subtitle. 
Yeah, that makes sense then. Um, real quick, since I keep on drawing us towards uh, to uh, Chaos Trims My Beard, let's talk about your uh, space opera series, uh, Aerodance. Is that, am I saying that correct there? Yeah, Aerodance, a neon space opera, as, uh, as I've built it. Um, Aerodance was a, I'm happy to talk about it because Chaos obviously gets the attention from the Spiffbo contest. Um, Aerodance is kind of something I did as a little bit of an experiment because, hey, it's self-publishing and I can technically do whatever I want. <laughs> um, so Aerodance is uh, currently a four-episode series, uh, and it's planned to be a 12-episode series, and each four episodes is a quote-unquote season because this whole thing came from, like, Saturday morning cartoons, you know, or Toonami or... Gundam and Cowboy Bebop and Macross and all those, you know, space-faring, just action-packed, brightly colored, larger-than-life kind of things. So this is kind of my book version of a shot at that. Cool. And then, so, the first, uh, it looked like there's several different points of view, and uh, I imagine they're just out and about in, uh, in space going through adventures then. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. The structure of the books is probably most similar to the structure of something like Cowboy Bebop uh, or uh, Firefly. It's mostly contained to four or five people on a small-ish ship going out having adventures. There's an overarching story because it's serialized, but each book is, at the very least, tries to do something unique with a couple of those characters and give them, you know, a physical arc as well as an emotional development arc. And it just, uh, you know, a captain and a, and an amnesic super soldier and a fighter pilot and a couple other people out kind of putzing around the galaxy dealing with what may. <laughs> yeah. It does kind of remind me a bit of Firefly then in that. And, and I, uh, I'm not familiar with Cowboy Bebop. I have to admit my, my nerddom runs far more towards the fantasy side than the sci-fi. No, so. of course, and I, I, I promise to not shame you, but that uh, <laughs> uh, Cowboy Bebop um, is, it, it, you know, it's four or five, six people on a ship, and I love it very much, and me and my wife have read through it, and I'm pretty sure a couple of the songs from that show were on our wedding playlist, so... Uh, <laughs> very nice. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, I guess guys, go out and go ahead and uh, give that one a shot, too. So let's talk about your uh, Spiffbo book, uh, Chaos Trims My Beard. We've mentioned it uh, obliquely several times now. Uh, You have Edwin, who is our main character. He's half human, half dwarf in a uh, fictional, very magical uh, world. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and, and give us more of a synopsis then? So the elevator pitch for Chaos is a dwarf and a rat man tackle a magical murder conspiracy. Because, um, as we say, Edwayne is a half-dwarf. He's He physically trends a little bit more towards dwarf. Part of the world-building in Chaos's world is if you're a hybrid, as I picked uh, to call them, you kind of tend towards your mother's uh, makeup, even though you have just physically. So he looks more like his mom, who is a dwarf, than his father, who's a human. Uh, he works crappy jobs. He's a caterer or a busboy um some of those jobs put him in with people who are a little bit nefarious 
and he might do a little bit under the table work that is a little nefarious. Uh, something goes wrong at a party. A uh, guy who should not have turned into a walking, screaming inferno turns into a walking, screaming inferno. And uh, Ed Wayne kind of has a thing about people burning alive. So he does a little bit of a unasked for heroics. And that draws the attention of a police detective who is a rat man. This um, one? I, I can't actually remember what his real name is. I just liked how he always called himself this one. Yes, this one is Venric the Unabashed. He is a uh, rat man. Um, and I, I, uh, I believe his quote is, he grew up with 1,600 brothers and cousins. <laughs> so, like, it was impo- you just never told your name. You just identified yourself as this one in conversation. And he's obviously kept that as he moved into greater society. Uh, his title was earned in... Uh, from the Ratman, and it might not necessarily be the best thing to be an unabashed Ratman. So he finds himself uh, off in the greater world and has taken up a job with the police. And of course, because of clever irony, the Ratman works for internal affairs and cleans up corruption rather than spreads it. So uh, they kind of pal, they uh, Venric kind of employs Edwayne just as a you know, uh, somebody to watch his back, somebody to give him a little information on what happened, and they kind of dive into the conspiracy of why a fair number of people are suddenly on fire. Yeah, and and your magic is uh, elemental based, and yes. um, so we have the the earth, fire, and uh, air or spirit. Uh, earth, fire, air, and water. Air and water. Oh, sorry, I don't know why I was throwing the spirit out there. I, um, <laughs> but yeah, so you have your elemental magic. Um, it's something that. Uh, I liked that was easy to follow. We don't have like 50 different classes um, <laughs> that you have to get into. I do have to ask you a question. Is this part of a series or is it standalone? So it could absolutely function as a standalone. And the way it ends, I hope, doesn't lead anybody to wonder about like missing questions or dangling threads or whatnot. I've I'm soon sending out to uh, some beta readers a follow-up, but it's also being written as a potential standalone, and the really only difference is that Edwin and Venric are already known to each other when it starts. Um, The prologue of Chaos kind of hints at a greater arc, but it, it doesn't have to be. If that makes sense. I know that's a wishy-washy answer. No, actually, um, it, it is pretty self-contained. And, and the only reason I was asking that is is that that my, like, the one thing that I had kind of an issue with was I felt like world building continued on for a, like, you know, a real um, long portion of it. And I just, and I didn't see it as a, you know, listed anywhere as part of a series. And I was thinking, man, you did a ton of world building for a one-off book. Uh, absolutely. The I mean, the world building and to a greater degree, the pacing has been um, the uh, where chaos has gotten its nose dirtied the most in the Spiffbo reviews. Reviews, excuse me. But uh, I I wrote the second book, uh, Ratman Do, because uh, like you say, there's a ton of world building, and it might kind of uh, 
slow down the book in parts that it would be super great if somebody read Chaos and loved it and then they come into Ratman and there's uh, the sequel, or not the sequel, but the second book and they kind of already have that in their pocket, you know? Well, that's the thing is is, that, is I completely uh, feel like that's... Um that with the when you add the extra books in, and that's when that like first world building uh, is more underst- is completely understandable. I guess is the way to to put that without sounding like ridiculous, you know. But the, no, when yeah. I saw this it kind of looking like it might be a standalone, I was like, "Geez, that is a ton of world building for one book." No, and you're you're one hundred percent right on that. And it's um, it's it was feedback that I got when I sent chaos around like the the traditional circuit for publishing like at first at first chaos was a 75,000 word book which was like tight and noir y you know like yeah. i don't think marlo ever had a book that went above 85 you know as a character like philip marlo chandler uh never like they're not ponderous books but i get you know i i receive feedback from like developmental editors or a couple of the agents that i pitch it to they're like oh this is feeling a little threadbare in world building because traditionally published fantasy are, you know, they're big books with a lot of crazy stuff in them. So then chaos became a longer book, even though I hadn't envisioned a sequel for it and it's my debut book and the balance was really hard. And I'm sorry if anybody uh, (laughs) sat through a bunch of discussions about air-powered elevators that weren't necessarily the most riveting things. (laughs) Well, like I said, I think that in for me, like just as a as you know, as a reader and a reviewer, um, I think that my my biggest thing was is that if it was just a one-off book, then I felt like you did more more world building than was necessary. But if it's going to be part of a series then the world building is understandable. I, I know it sounds like it shouldn't make a difference, you know what I'm saying? But for some reason to me as a as a, a reader and a reviewer, like it does I like a I'm okay with that world building as long as there's more, you know? Oh no, I totally understand what you're saying. And it makes me feel better about um uh wanting to keep going or, you know, planning to keep going with the world. Um because I really like all the world building. And I want, and I feel like a lot of it, because the book only takes place over like four days, or the main thrust of the story only takes place over like four days. So you don't get to see the ramifications of a lot of the world building that got thrown in there. So to play around with it more without having to explicitly explain that the rich people live on top of the poor people, literally, you know, (laughs) three or four times is, uh, is something that I really enjoyed with the, the, another fantasy noir that i'm writing yeah well that's cool then and like i said this is a part of why i absolutely love being able to talk to authors is to to be able to talk about these things that that especially the questions that i have you know and i think it's funny at first i was really nervous about starting author interviews and i was like oh geez what am i going to ask and then it took about one of them when i was like oh man i just enjoy doing these to be able to talk to about these books that i read uh well it's i i love the advent of author podcasts and um i I just think it's great because i there's no way that i like me personally could slyly insert into a reddit response to a review of my book like oh here's the thing i need to explain to you guys my 
thoughts behind like that's <laughs> that's kind of poor form so i'm much i'm very excited to have uh some minutes here to uh wax philosophical and literary <laughs> on chaos yeah absolutely and like i said i uh, th- i'm having a great time uh, talking about it and uh so you mentioned a little bit about that that you did um have agents look at this and um you you shifted around a little bit how was your uh, experience with that and um are you going to try uh with future books or with your like space opera or anything like that to to go the traditional route or are you going to continue on with the self publishing so uh there's uh to answer your question in the shortest possible way i'm going to keep self publishing because I, f- I forget who I forget where the quote came from, but somebody or some movie book famous uh, memoir quoted warfare as being moments of incredible like lengths of incredible boredom punctuated by sheer terror, yet like seconds of sheer terror like that's the life of a soldier, and that's kind of in a very small way how I felt the traditional route went. You know, you work very hard and you're very nervous to send off this packet that looks exactly like how they want it. And then you don't hear anything for 9, 12, 20 weeks. And then you get, you know, an eight line email back about either it's boilerplate or it's very brief and it's usually a no. And then you wait for the next one. And that waiting was really uh, tricky and I did not have a lot of fun with the waiting. And also, Chaos is a really weird book that sits at a really weird crossroads. And I think it would be very lucky to find an agent and publisher who would want, who would see a place for it among, you know, something that might be, I hate the word traditional, but it's the best one I got right now. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying, especially I think that uh, what, what I like about the book as far as I, I really feel like you integrate all the different uh, races, like you have the elves who are, I mean, basically they're jerks, um, Yeah, <laughs> and, but, but they're at the top, just like, you know, like they're going to generally be, but then once you, uh, and then you have the, like the humans and dwarves and all of those uh, different groups, but once you add the, um, basically that uh, noir, the kind of modern feel to it that's where you know then you're kind of like well now where we're at where are we at with this uh with classification i guess in this one uh yeah it's it because like as far as i can tell with the the fantasy coming out both traditionally and independently that i read now like elves and dwarves aren't super duper represented as a trope that they were when aping Tolkien was hot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, like they've kind of dropped off. Like you get orcs from time to time, like uh, uh, the gray bastards from last year's Spiffbo. There's, there, there's still places for fantasy races, but um, uh, not, uh, but just being like, Oh, here's the traditional Tolkien races. Plus a couple others uh, is a, is kind of a dated thing is from at least from what i've been seeing and then to throw them in a city where they you know drink beer and have a police force it just gets really weird and there wasn't anything to call it other than fantasy noir 
And yeah, how do you how do you explain that in a way that sounds like mass marketable? I suppose. Yeah, well, I really like like in the the early scenes with the elves that uh, like they're just drunk. Uh, the young the young elves, especially, you know, go around. They get drunk, and they're basically just uh, um, you know. I, I kind of saw like Wall Street yuppies or like uh, fraternity boys that. Uh, they just went out and uh, had their daddy's uh, magical car and, uh, you know, go out and do stupid stuff and go clubbing. Oh, abso- absolutely. Um, I mean, we all we all might have flirted with that at one point, you know, a phase like that in one point of our lives. And just being on the other side of it, uh, you think like, okay, you're, you're going to live literally forever unless you do something stupid. Uh, your parents, grandparents, et cetera, control literally every industry because, you know, uh, Uncle Uncle Leafface hasn't retired from being a shipping magnet for 4,000 years. So what do you do as a young elf? Like, you're bored, you have all the time in the world and all the money in the world, so what do you... <laughs> I mean, one thing leads to another and you go to crazy parties with drinks that sparkle <laughs> yeah yeah and so and, and you know that's completely understandable when you're talking when you when you talk, think about it that way i think that the uh, the book for the most part is really fun and i like how um you know it doesn't take itself too seriously and and edwin you know like you said he's kind of just i thought that it was funny right off the bat where we're where he's at a party and even though he's a dwarf he's clearly just a slacker who doesn't care we're not like i you you kind of expect with a with a dwarf or something you're going to deal with some like serious like warrior or you know like underground like tolkien style you know and then you have him who he literally just does not have any motivation in life he's just a slacker well um uh, i don't want to call him an author insert or anything but uh <laughs> but um i yeah so i looked I looked at the elves it, it, to 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 look at the elves and be you're immortal. Uh, what does that mean for a more modern thing? Um, you know, because the elves we're familiar with, like Galadriel, like of she's powerful and stately and and uh, important to the turning of the earth. But there's a lot of other elves. Um, the same thing with dwarves. The dwarves we're generally familiar with are adventuring dwarves or master blacksmithing dwarves. And here we've got a dwarf who just looks like a dwarf, but he's also got some of that human impetuousness in him. So he never really found a calling and uh, works not even as a bartender, just as a as a bar back, really. And he's just grumpy and why else would he's got a chip on his shoulder uh from like his parents not being around and why would he find some like master work to pursue like you might expect so yeah, and then and you mentioned that already that the uh, like the the rich are, are like literally um above the uh, the poor and and uh I didn't really feel like there was too much of a middle class, but you 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 have the either the rich and the powerful or the uh, the the basically the people who do the work for them so they can uh, party. But are we dealing with kind of um, maybe not actual Earth, but like an Earth-like world that where magic came in, or was magic always there? That's the one question I guess I do have with uh, 
um, with how the the world currently is? Uh, sure. No. Um, my favorite. Th- uh, I'll, I'll get. I will get. I will answer this in a somewhat uh, uh, ambling manner. My favorite thing that came from the uh, tumble through the traditional publishing world was the somebody at some point recommended a glossary at the end of chaos to kind of like flesh out more of the world without loading it even more into the already perhaps overstuffed story. And in that glossary, it talks about, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the shadow run series of tabletop games. Um, but it's basically kind of a D and D it works off of tabletop and what happened was there was something called the Awakening, where a bunch of, where it was Earth, and then a bunch of trolls and elves and whatnot woke up, and now a thousand years later, you're like somewhere between Tolkien and Gibson with like hackers who are also dwarves, um, and uh, I always loved Shadowrun and the idea of a world that suddenly had to deal with magic always really spoke to me, so. To answer the original question, chaos uh, was a world of humans with elves hiding off in the forest, tending to you know the magical lines of the world, and then uh, the elves kind of screwed up, and uh, that magical nexus that they were tending in secret exploded, and suddenly all these fantasy creatures woke up. So in a way, it's like a post-apocalyptic thing but it's been a very long time so it doesn't feel that way okay yeah that totally makes sense though and i guess i should have read the uh the appendix then (laughs) uh well it's written in edwayne's voice and is kind of funny so if anybody out there listening has read the book but not the appendix um i promise it is uh it's not that long and it's definitely if you like the novel it's kind of more of the novel it's just Edwayne's thoughts or expanded thoughts on some things that you might remember from the story. All right. Well, I will have to go back and <laughs> and read that then. I know I was sitting there. I was like, geez, I, 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 as you were talking, I'm like, oh, man, I better go back and look. Yes, I do have that in my arc. So I will have to uh, make sure that I, I do read that because I am the kind of person that enjoys uh, reading those. Yeah, it was uh, that was actually uh, a lot of fun to write after like shipping it out a billion times and then be like, Oh, I get to revisit this world and write something fun that people are telling me they want to see. So, uh, and then hearing like Ed Wayne write a description of Ratman is, was fun. It was fun to write, you know, because like, obviously he's going to have a less than academic, uh, slant towards <laughs> how he talks about them. Yeah. And, and, and Ratman is a, uh, is not a, a term that they, that the, the, the rat men enjoy no i it's really weird to look back and be like oh yeah my main character is casually racist towards what <laughs> turns out to be his best friend but like i he i promise he really doesn't mean it he's just that thick sometimes yeah well and he he deals with his fair share of uh prejudice for being uh, a half human half dwarf as well yeah, he's not uh, just he, the other dwarves. They can smell it on him, and uh, he is not uh, somebody that they want to hang out with just uh, at first glance. <laughs> yeah, what has your uh, experience with Spiffbo been like? 
Uh, Spiffbo has been wonderful, uh, just top to bottom. Um, my wife and I uh, would wake up pretty much every day, um, you know, September through December, and check Fantasy Faction, which was the pool I was in. Uh, I've I read all of their reviews as they came out, and I think that crew is fantastic in just the way they dissect books. I've read a lot of the other um, elimination round reviews, and then um, I mean, for me, Spiffbo was just it. It it was a it was a great kick in the pants for Chaos to kind of push it up uh, a tier, you know, from like tier zero point five to tier one point five as far as public notoriety goes, mm-hmm. but. Um, I've really, really enjoyed the feedback. It's all been super pointed, uh, both positively and constructively. And it's just been, uh, and the community that I've been introduced to is, uh, including the Nerd Book Review, has been just one of the nicest I've ever found on the internet. So it's been great. Yeah, it has been a ton of fun. Um, I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I mean, I've done interviewed a lot of the Spiffbo people, but I'm clearly not involved officially. But it has been a ton of fun to to deal with, uh, like the authors and other blogs, and um, it's the kind of thing that I hope continues on for a long period of time. Uh, I absolutely do too. I think for me, it was uh, it was I entered my book after pouring over Mark's stuff about like this is you know on there he says that uh, a lot of the blogs like angle more towards you know traditional like epic fantasy and i'm like you know what i'm gonna throw chaos out there at least somebody will read it and then just to go through it and see that there's just this massive spectrum of taste and all these really experienced readers who just love the idea of just the churn of new books has been so awesome to see that like there's definitely an audience for uh you know us run and gun authors just pumping out our works you know yeah, absolutely. Well, and what I like is that, uh, you know, I like some of these different genres, and I don't want to uh, read a traditional epic fantasy every time I go out and read a book. And I think that something that Spiffbo has really helped is that people like you, that, uh, you know, you don't have the the kind of novel that you're going to necessarily always see with, uh, like, the big five who are going to put out basically the same novel over and over again because it sells to the masses. And... I think that you have, that you know, there are several genres that if you can get out what you write that they would like, like people who like the detective novels or, um, you know, and the fantasy. And I think that with the way your novel hits on a lot of different genres, that if you can get it out there and have that platform like Spiffbo, that you can get a lot of readers if you can just find them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been immeasurably uh, helpful in that regard. And in just discoverability itself, I never would have found uh, Jack Bloodfist, which is another finalist, which is kind of in the same. Uh, it's probably the finalist closest to chaos. You know, it's a yep. half goblin, half orc, living in Virginia. I think uh, you know, dealing with urban problems, and I never would have found that without the contest. So it just it's super great, even from my end on discoverability of works that I've really found myself enjoying. Yeah, absolutely. And um, before we, uh, I want to make sure that we get uh, all of your uh, your different social media things 
But before we do that, though, um, you've already mentioned, I, I have the, I always have the question of what are your future writing plans? And you've mentioned uh, um, several things already. So you're working on another work in the, uh, in this world. And what, yes. do you have a title for that one yet? Uh, that is going to be called Ratman Do, Another Fantasy Noir. Okay. And then you ha- are going to do continue on with the Aerodance uh, space opera series. Yeah. So season one, which is the bundle of the first four books, is going to be, er, it is out when uh, this, when you're listening to this. Um, and then Aerodance is going to be done for the year. And I've got a couple more that are between the 50 and 80% mark that I'm really excited about. And uh, anything you want to talk about or? Uh, yeah, really briefly, um, after Ratman Do is a book that I'm calling Hammer Squad Dwarven Commandos, which is basically if you take those like Tom Clancy thriller type military books, Rainbow Six and such, but put them in Chaos's world, you know, Dwarven special ops guys. <laughs> uh, so... Another thing where like the world building will hopefully pay off, uh-huh. uh, though that's that's not narratively related to chaos at all. It just happens to take place, you know, on the same world. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, the other book that I'm working on that I'm really excited about is called uh, Seven Deadly Friends, in which uh, six of the seven deadly sins recruit a uh, schlubby guy to perform a heist against Pride, who has clearly betrayed the other six. So, <laughs> so it sounds like you always like to have fun with your books. Uh, absolutely, I um, uh, I I just get a, a idea in my head. Like I got the idea of fantasy noir, and then I had to write it, and then I got the idea of, you know, uh, deadly sin heist, and I'm currently writing it. So I I love writing them. I have a blast, and I hope it translates in the finished work. Yeah, well, you can definitely see that you have fun while you're you're doing your writing. Uh, do we have anything uh, that we missed that you would like to uh, talk about in the podcast before we wrap things up? Uh, no, I think I've covered pretty much everything I would have wanted to uh, wanted to have the opportunity to talk about. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead then and get everywhere that you can be contacted or um, any of your social media or anything like that you'd like to have out in one spot. Uh, so my social medias are uh, Twitter is just at Brett J. Herman. Um, Instagram is also Brett J. Herman. Uh, I have brettherman.net, which is my website. And then um, I'm also on Goodreads under Brett Herman, link to Chaos and Aerodance. And those are probably the best uh, four spots to keep up with what's going on. Awesome. Well, that is uh, uh, pretty easy then. You actually have all of the uh, the Brett Herman stuff. So, yeah, I got in on Twitter early, so it was very uh, you know I didn't have to I didn't have to get creative with the uh, with the at handle. <laughs> nice, nice. So, hey, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I absolutely enjoyed uh, this talk, and thank you for coming on. Thanks. Of course. Yeah.